We are beginning a new series this Sunday in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to 1 Samuel, if you don't have one, the, the blue Bible in front of you is page 225. In an odd way, I want to start out with a little video. It's a little video I saw maybe sometime this summer, and whenever I've seen a video that's gone viral, I know you have seen it, because I'm sort of the last on the media side. And I don't know, you know, somebody at a pool took it, and I thought when I saw this, I'm going to show this somehow. And this is the somehow. And uh, I'll make sense of it in a moment, but just to set it up, this mom is trying to teach her two younger children how to dive into a pool. So most of us have seen this. A lot of us tried to help our children. And so uh, her oldest son maybe is, you know, five or so. And then she has a younger son who looks like he's maybe two. So she does a perfect dive, and then she encourages her two sons to go ahead and follow her lead. We'll see what they do. Feet left. <laughs> you know, every time I see it, I laugh. I mean, it's so funny every single time. And you're thinking, what, what's going to be the transition from that video to 1 Samuel? And the reason I wanted to show it to you is because diving into a pool, diving into a deep end in the pool is intimidating, can be scary, especially if you're young. Now, when you're mom's age and you've had a lot of practice, you just dive right in. You don't think about all the mechanisms for it. It's just something that becomes normal to you. But when you have your first dive, maybe like the youngest kid, you just, you know, lean forward, whatever it takes. And for the next several months, we're going to be diving into the Old Testament. And I have the feeling that when we dive into the Old Testament, some people are intimidated by it. It feels like the deep end. And there are a very few of us here that are like the mom. We've, we've practiced so many times that when we just enter into the Old Testament, we get, we get the theme. We get the big story. We understand why we're diving in here, what's happening here. But... Many more of us are like one of these two younger children. There would be quite a few of us here that would be like the, the oldest boy that you get some of the things. I mean, you kind of get the idea. It looks like you're trying to dive. And you understand some of the themes and some of the connections and how those connections hold together in the New Testament and how they bring us or point us towards the New Testament. But there are a number of us here that are like the young child. And you just have to lean forward. That's what I'm trying to say. Is you just, I don't want you to back away. I don't want you to go, oh, I mean the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament. We're going to be, here, we're going to be stuck here for four or five months. No, I, I want you to just get to the edge and just lean in. And, and nobody learns how to dive perfectly on the first try you got to try again and again and again. And as you get used to it, especially as we go through 1 Samuel, by the time you're at the end of 1 Samuel, if you've 
come for the whole series, you'll, you'll move up a step. You'll get a lot more connections from the Old Testament into the New Testament. So that's, what, that's really my encouragement is wherever you find yourself sort of here on the, the diving scale as we dive into the Old Testament, I want you to have courage no matter where you are, even if you just need to, to lean forward because I, I don't think it takes much time to begin to see how these things are put together. I want to give you a couple of recommendations. First, just read and reread 1 Samuel. That's the best thing you could do. You just read it through and then read it through again and just begin to understand what's happening here and, and highlight certain things that come out to you. And you'll quickly see uh, just the, the basic outline, which is 1 Samuel 1 through 7 talks about really the life of Samuel. And he's the last judge. So we'll talk about this in, the minute, in a minute. But judges is like a prequel before 1 Samuel. And Samuel closes down that period. He's the last judge. And then the very first king of Israel, the king that is chosen by the people, is a guy named Saul. And his, his reign basically runs from 8 to 15, chapter 8 to 15 although he dies at the very end of the book. And then in chapter 16, we're introduced to David. David, this king that God chooses, the king that's the man after God's own heart. And he doesn't become king, actually, until 2 Samuel. So it's three basic men that we're looking at, Samuel, and then Saul, and then David. Uh, in the newsletter, there are a couple of commentaries that I recommend that you can read through. And then there's something called the Bible Project, and they have a number of videos. And especially if you're just the last guy that's leaning in, this is a great place to start. Just watch these videos on First and Second Samuel, and you'll pr pretty quickly begin to move up the scale in your, your diving technique. So very, very helpful. Now, this particular first sermon here on First Samuel is a little bit unusual because it's all like preparation work. I have to, I get to enjoy painting my room over my garage, my frog, sometime in the next month or so. And if you've ever done a painting project, you know it feels like half the work is all prep, right? You've got to fill in holes in the wall, you've got to sand the wall, you've got to tape everything off, and then finally you get to paint, which doesn't seem like uh, but about half the job. So what we're going to try to do this morning is just do all that prep work so that next week we're going to really look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I want to do the preparation together with you in three parts. Number one, I want us to remember that the Bible is one single story with a Christological conclusion. You've got you to have that in your mind no matter where you are in the Bible. It's one single story with a Christological conclusion. Let me just say that another way. All the people in the events of the Old Testament are pointing towards Jesus. Then when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's about Jesus. And then in the book of Acts to Revelation it reflects back on Jesus. Does that make sense? It shouldn't be complicated that the, the main person in the story of the Bible is Jesus. 
So no matter where you are, you're thinking about Jesus. And when you're in 1 Samuel, you're reading events, you're reading about people who are going to point you towards Jesus. Therefore, when we go through the Bible, we're not going to be surprised, especially as we read through the Old Testament, to hear reoccurring themes, to see characters who remind us of other characters who remind us of other characters, and they seem to have a theme that point us to Jesus, or events take place. And they're not quite the same, but underneath these stories, underneath these people, are these reoccurring themes that are all going to bring us to Jesus. Now, let me give you another illustration. So if you're just a visual learner, you've gotten the video. If you're an audible learner, I'm going to play this song. It'll take about a minute. And it's not a Christian song, it's just an instrumental song. And I love this little song. I listen to it all the time. And it's called Stairs and Steps. It's a very simple little piano song. And what you're going to hear at the beginning is just a couple of notes that get played. And we won't hear the whole song, but they get played all the way through. And then at some point, the, the, the other hand begins to play other pieces of music. But underneath, there's this same thing, theme, that goes all the way through the song. So let's listen to a minute of this. enjoying but you you hear what I'm trying to say you hear that theme it just starts out and it ends the same way I'll I'll send you the link to it because you're going to want to listen to the whole thing but when you read the Bible I want you to hear that that song in your head meaning there's these themes that just keep repeating and the story there may be another storyline on top of it it may be get more complex and it may seem louder than the underlying theme, but all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to hear these same repeating notes. And that's what I love about the Bible. That's what gives me great confidence in the Bible. The more you read it, the richer it becomes. It's not like a a story that you really like. Like, I really like the Chronicles of Narnia. 
And they're neat, but they have an ending richness. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't, there's not a lot more that I can see. I can just re-enjoy these things. But when I read the Bible, it gets richer and richer and richer all the time because I see these complex patterns that I hadn't seen before. And then they show me something more about God. They show me something more about Jesus. They show me something more about myself. So we hear this theme, and from beginning to end, we hear this heartbeat of God for His people all the way through. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. Let me give you three examples. First of all, the title of the series is called Looking for a Leader. And so, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, if you're reading the Bible as one story, you're looking for the next Adam. You're looking for the leader who's going to really lead his people because Adam had this massive leadership failure. So from Genesis 3 on, you're leaning in and you're saying, there's going to be another leader that comes behind Adam who's going to save us from this death and destruction. And Genesis 3, 15 says this, I will put enmity or hostility. This is God speaking to Satan. I'm going to put hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, and between her offspring or her seed and your seed. And he, very key word, he, this offspring is going to be a male that comes from a woman. This is what this offspring is going to do. He's going to crush the Satan. He's going to crush your head. Now, in the process, you're going to bruise his heel. There's going to be a blow that Satan gets to strike, but this next Adam, this true leader is going to come, and he's going to crush evil once and for all. So after Genesis chapter 3, you're leaning in and you're saying, who is that leader? And as you read through the Old Testament, you read about great leaders like Noah or Abraham or Moses, and each one are like a shadow of, the, of Jesus. They're, they give you a little representation. They tell you something about the real leader who is to come. They give you clues about the real leader. And when we turn to First and Second Samuel, we get a really big clue about this leader. And we get that by looking at the life of David. First of all, David is a man after God's own heart. So this real leader, this true king, he's going to be a man after God's own heart. Secondly, David is crowned the king. So we know this leader is going to be a man after God's own heart. He's going to be a king. And then in 2 Samuel 7, 12, which is really sort of the key verse for the whole books of First and 2 Samuel, it says this, God speaking to David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers... I'm going to raise up for, for you an offspring. So just, you hear that? When you hear that, an offspring. Okay, where did I hear that before? I heard that back in Genesis chapter 3. And, and, and that offspring will succeed you. And I will establish his kingdom. And he's going to build a house for my name. And I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. You hear that? Getting a lot of big 
clues of what this Genesis 3 leader is going to be like. He's going to be a, a man after God's own heart. He's going to be a king. He's going to come from the line of David. And without reading all the New Testament Bible verses, Matthew 1, Luke 1, Revelation 2, who is that pointing to? Well, it's pointing to Jesus. It's all describing Jesus. Let me give you a second example. In the Bible, when a woman gives birth in a miraculous way to a son, you want to pick up that thing. What's, we already know it's going to happen in some way, and we just see it played over and over again, especially through the Old Testament. And one way we see that is just in the birth of Moses. He's miraculously saved from death, both from the midwives and then from his own mom, putting him in this small ark that saves his life. And then he ends up rescuing his people out of slavery. First Samuel opens in a very dark moment in Israel's history. And the very, the very first chapters we'll talk about next week begins with the tears of this barren woman. And eventually she gives birth to Samuel, who begins this leadership through the dark times and ends up handing it off to David. And after she gives birth to her son Samuel, she sings a song, very famous song. And here's the very first line to her song. My heart exalts in the Lord. Something's happened to her and she's, she's just exploding with praise to God. Now, a thousand years later, it's a very dark time for God's people, and an angel visits a young woman, and she miraculously gives birth to a son who's going to save his people out of dark times. And when she finds this out, she bursts into a song. And listen to the first line of her song, My soul magnifies the Lord. You hear that? Those themes, they're always playing through the Bible. So when you see Hannah, when you read about Hannah, you're going to say, that's going to be a lot like Mary. When you see David, you say, he's going to be a lot like Jesus. These are all shadows of something that is coming our way. Let me give you one final example. What is this leader going to do? We've already talked about that. Genesis 3, 15. He's going to crush evil. He's going to crush the head of the snake. Whoever's oppressing the people of God, this leader's going to come in and crush that person. But what does Moses do? Through the plagues and then through this final act of the Red Sea. You remember Pharaoh sends his whole army into the Red Sea and the Red Sea covers over this army. And Moses, by God's, through, by God's power, crushes Pharaoh. Just like you're anticipating for Genesis chapter 3, 15. Now turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, probably the most well-known story in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, when David defeats Goliath. So David is this new leader. We're all leaning in. We're looking for this kind of leader. What is this leader going to do? He's going to crush the head of the serpent. 1 Samuel 17 verse 5 describing Goliath. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, of, of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels. So the coat of mail, you know what that is? Little pieces of metal that look like little scales, 
that go all the way from his neck all the way down. So if something hits him, it bounces off. Well, what does a giant look like covered in this mail? He looks like a giant serpent. And when, and when David defeats Goliath, look at with me in verse 51. Then David ran, this is after he killed Goliath with the sling and the stone. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him by doing what? He cut off his head. Do you hear that theme? These themes help you really appreciate the Bible. And there are things in here that I haven't seen that I'm learning. I'm passing on to you. And you'll see in the Bible, you'll be more confident in the Bible. And they'll become richer and richer as we go through. The Bible is one single story with a Christological conclusion. And so we come to Jesus, Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, nailed them to the cross, and Jesus disarmed all powers and authority. This is the, begin the cross is the beginning of Jesus crushing the head of evil. And what does it mean by Jesus disarms the powers and authority? What, is, what power does Satan have over us to accuse us, to say you're guilty? But when Jesus takes it on the cross, takes all of my sin, Satan can't say anything because he's been disarmed. God, Jesus has paid for all of the sins of Paul Phillips. In Revelation 20, the ancient serpent who is Satan will be seized and finally thrown into the lake of fire. Genesis 3.15 terminates in Revelation 20. The Bible is one story, and the more we see that and hear the underlying themes, the, the better the piece of music becomes. Number two, when you learn to dive, you always learn to dive in the deep end, right? You never learn to dive in the baby pool. That wouldn't be really helpful. You always have to go down to the deep end, because once you start diving, you get down into the deep part, and if you're young, just the deep end itself can be intimidating, The deep end for 1 Samuel, I think, the deepest part of the deep end for 1 Samuel, which is intimidating, is God's sovereignty. Meaning God's ultimate and complete control over all things. If you don't like God being in control over all things, you're going to struggle with 1 Samuel you're going to struggle with most of the Bible. But you're especially going to struggle with 1 Samuel. So let me just highlight a few things, and you turn with me as you, as you read them for yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5. We're just going to see, we can't explain all these now, but just see how God is sovereign over all things. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. This is Hannah's husband giving her a double portion of food because he loved her, though, what does it say? Though the Lord had closed her womb. So God is sovereign over a woman's womb. Chapter 2, verse 25. 
This is talking about Eli, who is the priest, and his two wicked sons, which we'll talk about next week or in the next couple of weeks. The very end, it says, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? Eli's sons are sinning against the Lord. But they, these two sons, wouldn't listen to the voice of their father. Why? For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So God is sovereign over life and death. Chapter 5, verse 6. The Ark of the Covenant, again, see, this is okay if you don't know all this because we're going to get to it, but the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence is has been captured and moved in Philistine territory. And when it was, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod or the Philistines, and he, and he the Lord, terrified and afflicted them with tumors. So God is sovereign over terror and tumors. Two more, chapter 15, verse 2 and 3. God wants this people group, the Amalekites, who are very wicked, to be put to death by Saul. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek, who's the king, did to Israel in opposing them on the day when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now this is one of the most difficult Bible verses in the whole Bible. But what I just want to say is God is sovereign over his own justice and judgment. If you struggle with God's sovereignty, you're going to struggle with 1 Samuel. It's the deep end. Chapter 16, last one, verse 4, 14. This is the transition of God's Spirit away from Saul and towards David. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit, what does it say? From the Lord tormented Saul. Now, you're going to want to answer, you want me to answer all these questions here, and today that's not possible. I'm just trying to point out that God is sovereign over all the spiritual world. God's sovereignty is the deep end. And what I want you to know is you can't see the bottom. If you're waiting by the edge of the pool for Christianity to make sure all's clear, you got it all down... You totally understand how God's operating, you're never going to dive in. Because even if you dive in and you're an expert cliff diver, you never get to see the bottom of God's sovereignty. And so I want to encourage you to try to embrace God's sovereignty over your limited and my limited ability to see things. I love the title of this article that I read this week. I love God's sovereignty until something bad happens to me. <laughs> I mean, I love being in, God being in control as long as everything's going great. So God's sovereignty, a theme that's going to reoccur. But I want you to be like the, the young boy 
and I just want you to lean forward. I don't want you to be intimidated. I want you to just say, I, I don't understand it all. There are parts of it that I don't get, but it's okay. I'm trusting in God's sovereignty. Third and final point here for this morning in terms of our prep work is I believe the dominating theme for the book and thus the title of the series is about leadership. As I said earlier, Judges is like a prequel. If you have, if you have the main story being First and Second Samuel about Samuel, Saul, and David, then well, what happened before that? And that's really basically the book of Judges. If you remember, Joshua was the person who led the people of Israel into the promised land. He's like a great general. And when he dies, a series of judges who are basically other military generals. Don't think of a judge like somebody in a black robe. Think of a judge as like a, a five-star general. And these judges come and they, they rule over Israel for little short periods of time. And they, they rule over the next 200 to 300 years. And most of them exhibit sort of declining leadership. And so you might think of judges as like a, a plane in a tailspin. It's just a downward spiral. And I'll let you read Judges 19 and 20 for yourself. It's really grotesque. The book of Judges ends in sexual assault, dismemberment, and civil war. So the people of God are fighting against themselves. So it's chaos in Israel. And the very last line in Judges, in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's called chaos. When you have a nation where everyone just says, what's right is whatever I think. And I don't know if you could imagine that, but just try to imagine a nation that way. But when you have people who, who just say, I'm self-sovereign, and I just get to choose what's right, and I don't really want anybody weighing in on my choices, then you have a nation that's in chaos, a nation that's, that's on the brink of this darkness. And 1 Samuel chapter 3, turn there with me, describes this darkness in just a very profound way. I want you to Read these verses with me. Now, the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. Eli's the priest. And then notice these descriptions. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So here's a nation built on the word of God, but yet the word of God is rare in this nation. Verse 2, at that time, Eli... He's the priest. He's the one who's supposed to tell people about God. His eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he couldn't see. See, it's a picture. It's not a phys just a physical description. It's a spiritual description. The priests of the church, the ones who are supposed to be administering the word of God, they can no longer see. So yes, you keep coming to church, but the person who's supposed to be telling you about Jesus, they don't know anything about Jesus anymore. So they substitute stories and other things to, to make you feel good, but the people who are really supposed to know about God, they don't know about God. Because the word of the Lord is rare. Verse 3, the lamp of God. 
had not yet gone out. You get the picture? You're in this temple. You're in this tabernacle. It's dark. The one person who's supposed to bring the light is blind. And there's this tiny little candle. It's just barely flickering. And you get the feeling like, uh uh-oh, we're we're all going to be consumed by darkness here. And it looks hopeless. Except for that verse 3 ends this way. Samuel... Samuel, who was born miraculously, seed of a woman, he's lying down in the temple near the ark of the Lord. So there's one man, there's one man that's lying next to the Lord. He's the little flicker. He's the little flame. And from this one man's leadership, light is going to explode on the people of Israel in ways they couldn't even imagine at this particular point. And God is looking for leaders, not just then, but now, who are willing to lay down their lives in order to be near God. God is still looking for leaders who are willing to lay down their lives just to be near God. That's the kind of leader God uses to advance His kingdom. Now, 3,000 years ago, a nation of Israel was drowning in decay and in desperate need of leadership. That's 1 Samuel chapter 1. Leadership that didn't hunger after power, didn't hunger after pleasures, didn't hunger after the prestige of the world. Instead, leaders who hungered after God's own heart. Leaders who knew the Word of God. Leaders who you could see were following after God, were, were doing all they could to stay near to God, and we get a, a glimpse of that from Samuel, and then a, a greater picture of that from David. David's heartbeat for God pulls a whole nation out of darkness. One man, one leader's heartbeat can change the direction of a whole family, can change the direction of a whole church, can change the direction and course of a whole city, could change the direction of a very dark nation, if they just say, I'm going to lay down my life and I don't care what comes my way, I'm going to stay near God. It reminds me of a famous quote by D.L. Moody. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And King David was very close to being that man. Except we... We all know the story. First Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, David's spectacular failure. And when you get to the end of 2 Samuel, it ends on a, on a depressing down note. And as a reader, you're looking ahead. You, you maybe thought it was going to be David, but you realize it's not David. So now I'm looking ahead. Who is this going to be Genesis 3.15 leader? Who's going to be the man after God's own heart? Who's going to lay down his life in order to follow and be near to God? Who's going to not fail no matter what the temptation? Who is that person? It's Jesus. See, when you pull a thread in the Old Testament and you keep pulling, what are you going to come to at the end? You're going to come to Jesus. That's why in the, you know, in the, uh, Sunday school class, the teacher asked the question, what's the right answer? Jesus. I mean, just whatever, whatever question you ask, how was your day? Jesus. I mean, I'm, it's just whatever thread you pull, you're going to end up 
with Jesus. But I want to say that until Jesus' return, God's still looking for these kind of leaders. This is the kind of leader he's still using to advance his kingdom. The, the underlying notes that you hear in the Old and the New Testament, they're still being played. That's the miraculous part about it. They're still being played over and over again. God is looking for a faithful woman who will trust him and cry out to him. And it's very possible that just through this one woman, she could bring a, whole, a person into the world who could change the whole world. That theme is being played out still today. If one man would lay down his life, one student at high school, one person in college, one man at a big business, if they'd be willing to lay down their lives and stay near God and not fail and trust the Lord, it, it's amazing what God might do to you, to your family, to a church, to a city, and even to a nation. It's important for all of us, but especially if you're a younger person. This is what our nation desperately needs. If you're 15, 20, 25, our nation is crying out. And God is trying to identify one or two who can lead the charge and say, I don't care how chaotic and dark the world gets, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to stay near God. And what he could do would be, could be incredible. Well, we've got all the tape up, sanded all the walls, and next week we start the painting. Let's pray together. Lord, we're, we're at really, we're all like this youngest child. We all just need to lean forward and trust in you. And to fall into the hands and arms of a gracious and caring, merciful God. And fall into the dark end of a pool. And trust that you could use just one person, one faithful, barren woman, one, one man, one little child who, who's committed his whole life to staying next to you. I pray that those kinds of people would come from Christ Community Church. Those kinds of people would be built in the next few months by trusting in, learning in, the faithfulness that you have for your people by reading your words in 1 Samuel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.